Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, the podcast where we talk about culture, behavior, relationships, and society from a male and a female perspective. Today, we're talking about emotional labor. So uh, I'll let Eliza do everything on this one, and I'll just make some jokes. Um, That was the first one. I hope that was funny, but nonetheless, we are talking about (laughs) emotional labor. And uh, just a quick definition of emotional labor. Emotional labor is the process of managing feelings and expressions to fulfill the emotional requirements of a job. So more specifically, workers are expected to regulate their emotions during interactions with customers, coworkers, clients, and managers, and that's in a professional context. But we want to also talk about emotional labor in a personal context. Uh, Subscribe, if you haven't already, on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, Sex Sales Podcast. Come to a comedy show, comedyunteam.com if you live in Australia. Come see me live, my solo show, neilkahacker.com slash tickets. But first I want to get your overview of uh, emotional labor. If someone asks you what is emotional labor, because this is a term that's uh, thrown around a lot now. And when I was a kid, I don't really remember hearing this that often. It could be because I was a kid and kids wouldn't yeah. be talking about this. But uh, it does seem to be in the zeitgeist a lot more. Yeah. Now than it was. So first, I want to I want to gauge your um just just brief op- opinion and definition of emotional labor because it's, sometimes it's a subjective sort of phrase. And then I want to talk yeah. about my um idea of it, and and we can get into a discussion of it. So take it away. Um. So the definition that you read out is the formal definition, and it was actually coined in like the 80s, um, and it was specifically supposed to be the definition only encompassing um, emotional tasks at work. So, for example, nurses needing to have um, a lot of empathy for their patients or flight attendants would have to be polite and smile. So that is where the term was coined. And then as the years have passed, which is why you probably hadn't heard of it for a long time, um, emotional labor has developed almost into a new definition that we know to now and today about the mismatched labor that someone has to do or the unseen labor that falls upon someone, um, typically of the emotional support, obviously, um, that can create a discrepancy in a personal relationship. So just like a very broad example and a very classic trope, um, would be the mother who is feeling a lot of contempt and dissatisfaction with her husband um, and is feeling really exhausted because she's had to plan all the doctor's appointments, she had to make sure her children were happy, she had to make sure the husband was happy, she had to enroll them in school, do this, make sure this list was done, like all that um all these tasks that were completed that she has to keep in her head, um, the routines, etc., nap time. Um, that he is not aware of or not engaged in. And he's like, what do you mean? You had the kids for four hours and then I had the kids for four hours today. We did the same amount of work with the kids, but it's that invisible labor that is missing. And so this one of the big reasons for why this has kind of come up again in recent times, I believe, is because of the movement of feminism where it's like usually there is someone that is managing the household more or overlooking all the domestic duties or paying the bills or doing like that household management and also at the same time trying to better their partner and teach them emotional regulation or emotional intelligence and communication skills that all of that responsibility and monitoring or whatever is falling onto one person and then it's uneven between the two or in the friendship group or the relationship, etc. What are your thoughts? That's a that's a great definition, and I think that's exactly what people are talking about now when they yeah. speak about it um, in a in a broader sense than just in a professional environment. And um, t- taking on the necessary stress for the adequate management of a household or organization. Would you say that's a accurate and, and brief one sentence definition of it? Because if you're managing a, a house or, or a small business or whatever it may be, there are certain tasks that need to be done, obviously, for, for, for things yeah. to be managed effectively. And some people uh, 
just naturally gravitate towards a managerial role. Some people, it's their job to do that, um, particularly more so in the professional world. But the person who gravitates towards that managerial role tends to take on more stress uh, that then creates that emotional imbalance, emotional inequality, and then can harbour a lot of resentment, thinking, well, I have to think about all these things because I cannot trust that if I leave this to you, either it wouldn't be done properly or, you know, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be done at all. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that it's it's coinciding a lot with resentment because of it, um, because of these responsibilities that fall onto that individual. Um, and now that there is a term and understanding being developed about it, people are talking about it a lot more being like, well, you might think just because you work 40 hours and I work 30 hours that you're doing more, but in reality I'm doing I'm literally managing this house or I'm managing this organisation, I'm keeping things running it may not be like on KPI type levels of keeping things running but I'm I'm the glue that is holding things together um or like I always think that um which I guess is like a, a petty thought that if I had to leave as much as I have these conversations with Adrian and he understands it and I'm the stay-at-home parent currently but if I had to leave for the weekend I couldn't just up and leave and be like okay I would have fucking 10 pages of lists of Remy's routine, what to feed him, how to cook it, um, how does he like this being done, like how to put him down for his nap, when to wake him up, how long to let him sleep for, all these things that it's like, well, Adrian's a parent, he should know these things off by heart and that's the emotional labour that is that I'm currently like working with at the moment and I think that in a non-parent type relationship, a lot of women complain about an emotional labor because of that they have to be the ones to regulate their partners for them. Um, and a lot of men do that for women too. Um, it's, that's probably even maybe even, but having to be the person being like, okay, you're upset. So now instead of regulating yourself or calming yourself down, I have to take on the responsibility of, or not have to, but I choose to, or I fall into being the person that takes on the responsibility of calming you down and getting you back to your baseline and putting your needs there, et cetera. Um, so I do think resentment comes in after, at least after a while, um, a lot of resentment is building up and building up and building up. And now that there's a term for it and people are understanding it, they're trying to have more conversations about it um, and do something about it. But it's one of those things that it's really hard to address to share the division because it's not like you're like, okay, you mop the floor on Tuesdays, I'll mop it on Fridays. It's it's not it's not often tangible. So it is really hard to divide that equally and be fair. So it's a tricky, tricky thing. And would you would you say that there are natural managers in the sense that in any kind of social organization, yeah. some people just for whatever reason they gravitate towards that managerial role? And I'm not yeah. talking about just a household here. Um, yeah. Maybe they're just higher in conscientiousness and also agreeableness. I'm, I'm just I'm just assuming yeah. here that I haven't really seen any particular literature on that. And then. Because that person tends to gravitate towards that managerial role, it then just becomes stuck in everyone's mind. Oh, yeah, 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 they'll take care of that. Yes. And then they they harbor the resentment because they think, well, I initially was happy to do it because I want this organization or this household to be run as effectively as possible. Yeah. But now I'm doing it and, and, you know, there's no, there's no, even, it's not just that people want to thanks. It's just that I have to do more here and I'm yeah. the other person might say or the other people in the organization might say, well, you never tell us to do this or you never give us the opportunity to do this. And then occasionally that does lie on the, the, the yeah. natural manager where they may have a need to control everything to the detriment of everyone else's development and, and they think, well, because if you do it, you'll do it in a bad way. And then that can really piss people off and actually yeah. create resentment the other way. So I, I, I th- there, there are, like with all of these issues, there are always two sides to yeah, the coin. That's so true. But it, it seems more often than not the person who's doing the, uh, the management duties, first of all, these are often very thankless. They're just 
really boring, nitty-gritty, day-to-day, oh, make sure this is done, make sure we've got to have food here and then we've got to make sure we've got to do this. And then you have to overthink that because you're not confident that the other person is thinking that. Now then from the other person's perspective, they may they may say, well, I just don't express that stress outwardly in the same way you do. And sometimes natural managers assume, oh, the other people aren't as stressed or aren't necessarily talking overtly about the things that need to be done therefore they're not thinking about it which may not always be the case i know in the uh you know small organization i'm running that's come up where someone has felt like they're the they've gravitated towards a natural managerial role they weren't specifically asked to do that and then there's not resentment necessarily but a fear that it won't be done as effectively and then they want it to be at a certain standard but then the other person has said where you you're making these assumptions like you've never actually let me take on this yeah. role and you know that then the other person can the natural manager can sometimes become a bit domineering in certain situations where they think okay um okay I'll give you a chance to do it no 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 hey hey let me do I'll just do it I'll just do yeah. it and then and okay you haven't actually allowed that person to yeah step up so it's um it's something I've been thinking about uh, a fair bit and uh, more so in the in a professional context because I've always just lived alone, so I've always been the, you know, well, yeah. okay, for the last six seven years, um, but yeah, in a in a in a uh, professional organization, there just seems to be certain people who naturally gravitate towards that role, and then if they don't feel like they're getting a proper either, it's usually not even just a financial reward, just the the acknowledgement. And just the appreciation, there's a certain level of resentment that um, tends to develop. And, you know, it's something that um, I think a lot of organizations are trying to manage. And I think it really just comes down to certain aspects of of culture, but also the human condition. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that even outside of... um, career and work in any social group or setting there is like you said the natural manager and that that is a role I have taken on in every group I'm in like it's I don't I actually don't feel resentment for it I kind of enjoy doing it but like with my friend group I initiate all um all of the catch-ups and when I was pregnant and like basically isolating due to COVID none of my friends saw each other because I wasn't creating the opportunity for catch up or planning anything or writing the chat so that it just fell flat for months and months and months until I had my baby. And even like when I joined a new group, my mother's group, I, someone said they felt like playing netball. So then I created the netball team. I paid for it. I organized the funds. I organized the schedule of who's playing what position. Um, I organize the catch-ups a lot. At the start of the month, I also send like, okay, here are some dates for a baby catch-up. Here are some dates for the mum catch-ups. When we go out for dinner, I usually pay like often pay and then everyone pays me back. Um, So it's funny how like people just – The person who offers to pay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. That one's annoying but um, no, it's all right. But it's it's funny how like that's always something I've just naturally done being like except in the scenario of this podcast which is I think is interesting in probably every other situation I'm always the one that is like leading the planning and the organizing and the ideas but when it comes to like podcasts, et cetera, and this um, scenario, this is something I'm like Neil is like Neil's much more – uh, has much more expertise in this. So I always follow your lead. Every time you're like, what do you want to do with this? Or I'm like, I'll do what you want to do. <laughs> like if it were anyone else, I'd probably be like, this is what I want to do, this, this, and this. Um, but like I trust you. You're, you're definitely the natural manager in, in out of our duo um, or out of the podcast. Um, but in any other situation, household, relationships, friendships, I find that I definitely tend to fall into that role. But what do you like, I guess, in your, in outside of a career way, like in your relationship or in your friendships, are mm. you that person or are you the, the passenger? Um, it's a good question. Um, because again, I, I don't, I, I still don't, uh, Andrew and I don't live together. So I'm yeah. just the, man- the manager of my household, single person household. Well, do you have days, like specific days that you catch up or do you just every week you're like, hey, come around tonight? Like who no, organizes you, that? Yeah, we, we, we plan. We're both 
plan is. Uh, I think the best way I would still describe it is we're both builders from that um, Why Him, Why Her book. And that will, if you're a builder, if you're someone like me who might be more of a natural manager, you need to find a partner who's also like that because nothing will frustrate you. You will just go, uh, (laughs) you'll go insane if um, you're not with someone who's like that. Um, But I'd, I don't know, you'd have to ask her, but I think we're doing a, a pretty 50-50 um, yeah. burden of that because it's not, again, there's not a, a lot of sort of boring things to do yet because we're still not living together and yeah. we're just essentially organizing when we, we usually have, it's it's usually either Friday or Saturday and then either Monday or Tuesday and then, you know, we just figure out who, who's going to whose house and it's pretty, it's it, you know, the management is relatively easy at this stage of the relationship so I'll... Uh, Report back when we're um, in a more <laughs> yeah. uh, in a in a different situation. Yeah. Uh, in previous relationships, okay, I've never really had a live-in girlfriend, and then I think that's yeah, because more often than not, my partner's not lived with me. Um, I know. Look, growing up, yeah, mum, as is usually the case, yeah. was the uh, manager. Shorty, I haven't <laughs> seen her in ages. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't really jumped up that often. Um, and then the funny thing is, well, my dad uh, wanted to. There was a while there where I think he wanted to take on more of that household role, but then when someone, like with any skill, a natural manager has usually done it for so many years that they're just so much better at it that when someone, even if they want to make an effort to do it. They they try it for a, a while and then the natural manager thinks, oh look, this is look, I need to do it, and that can yeah. be that can be detrimental for their development. For both people, but it's, if, it's hard, yeah, yeah, it is hard because then, but but if it's just so bad that they're how that if they're just so useless at managing the household or whatever, and then look, this might be a bit mean, but um, if they're just not as competent at it. It's hard then for that because usually the natural manager type is a very not uh, controlling is a strong word often has negative connotations. They are they're conscientious and they really have they they um, attention to detail is really important to them. Yeah, and for other people yeah. it might not be, and they're often more relaxed and happier, and they have other advantages that they can bring to an uh, organization or a relationship. But then when you sort of switch those roles, uh, if someone who doesn't have a good sense for attention to detail is trying to do the management of a household or, a, or an organization, they're usually just not that good at it. And the organization probably selects for people who are natural managers. And, you know, usually that's why managers often get paid a bit more than the other people who might be doing the same amount of hours, but different tasks, because it's, you know, it's arduous. I think... A, a really uh, probably the most pertinent example I can think of is on a film set. Anyone who's in the film world will tell you the assistant director is the manager of that film set because, really? yep, because the director is the person who gets to enact their creative vision. They're just looking at the shot. They're, uh, they're telling the actors, this is my vision. This is how I want you to act. Uh, I want the, D- the DOP is the person with the camera. They're, they're directing them telling them, all right, close up here or wide here or, you know, pan here or whatever it might be, they get to they get to be creative, right? And then that's usually more enjoyable. That's still, it's stressful for everyone, don't get me wrong. The actors get to act, so they're having yeah. the time of their life, usually. If, if they're doing a dramatic scene, that's actually quite hard. That's actually, you know what, mm. that would be, that would literally be emotional labor if you have to cry um, yeah, for multiple true. scenes throughout the day. Yeah. Um, but the assistant director and then and then the people, un- if we're talking about a really big film set, the people under the assistant director, oh, my God, they're just the people getting coffees, but they just get tossed around like they're slaves at some point. They're usually interns studying film right. or something like that. But the, the assistant director, at least in most of the film sets I've worked on, is the person who has the schedule, who's telling everyone, this is what we need to do, where's this person? They're wrangling everyone onto the set. They're making sure that person's there when they need to be. They're making sure that prop's there when it needs to be there. They're making sure that they're sticking to time. And more often than not, the director will actually lose a sense of time because they're so immersed in the art that the assistant director actually then has to come on and be like, okay, look, come on, why isn't this happening? 
And then, mm. and then you know, the, the assistant director often has to answer to the producer. The producer's like, why didn't you get all these shots done? And then it, it can be... Um, yeah. Uh, it can be awkward, but That's so interesting. You know, I would never even thought of it. Like you wouldn't. I didn't even know an assistant director existed. Yet they're literally like running the show. Well, they they're doing the thankless work. Yeah, you know, no yeah. one no one is like, oh, who's gonna get the Oscar for assistant director? But they're essential to every film set. Now, usually. Yeah. And then look, different film sets can do it differently. And by the way, if you're in the film industry, maybe there's a different way of doing it. Tell me in the comments, but um, a film cannot actually, uh, you know, come to fruition in, in its best possible conception without an assistant director being there, making sure every little thing goes as planned. And what can happen is someone who might have both natural managerial aptitudes and creative aptitudes, their creative side has to then be suppressed or has to suffer because they're yeah. so focused on getting everything in order and getting everything managed and that can be another way where the re the resentment can build up because they think well i'm not able to like contribute my ideas and my vision because i'm too busy telling everyone where they have to be and what they have to do and making the calls and sending all the emails and doing you know essentially the boring work some people like it and they're yeah. you know they're god's gift to earth <laughs> <You know? laughs> we all love them um but uh and and also usually the assistant director is someone who wants to eventually become a director. Yeah. So you have, it's 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 actually a good it's a good sort of learning process. You go through that and then you get to do the you know, you get all the accolades and you get to do arguably yeah. the more enjoyable job. That's so interesting and such a good example as well. I I I, I do, yeah, in my professional life, I would say that's just the perfect example. In other situations there's been people who've shared that managerial burden um but yeah in film it's 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 usually the assistant director or then you know there's if it's a bigger film set there's producers as well and they often answer to the assistant yeah. director so actually in a big film set the assistant director right. is actually managing the managers and you know in, in any big corporate environment there's just people manage you know there's like a chain of managers that just are managing each other and it just gets so it just gets so ridiculous at some point yeah um and you know, there's this really that's that really funny guy on TikTok. What's his name? Nick White or something? And he does that. Um, that I don't know if you've seen that sketch. It's just like every manager or something, and he'll be that really passive aggressive kind of manager who's like, "Oh, is he have brunette? You done with that. that kind of curly hair?" He's a guy, but then he does it as a as a woman, and oh, then he'll be yeah. like, "You know, the do 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 do." She's married to um, Matt. Yeah. I'm going to need you to do, 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 do that. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm yeah. going to get in trouble. Yeah. It's just yeah. Like, I it's love so on point. His videos. It's so on point. So it's so good. Uh, yeah. It's scarily realistic. Uh, but yeah. then, you know, I feel for that person as well because they often become, become the asshole because they have to be because yeah. otherwise people don't listen. Um, and yeah, it's not fun being the, the um, well, for uh, again, some people actually. Truly enjoy it, but yeah. for a lot of people, it's sort of a means to an end, or it's something that they feel they either naturally gravitated towards or or are best at, and feel like what well, that's what they have to do. And you know that it can it can uh, it can create uh, you know personality traits that aren't ideal because they're always on edge and they're always stressed and they're always having to think about things. And these are the people who often have yeah. to take their work home. Because everyone else finishes at, at 5 or 6 p.m., but then they're always thinking about, okay, is, everyone, is everything going to happen properly tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's, I suppose that's a, that's a good rundown of how, uh, you know, issues of emotional labor manifest in a professional environment. And, and, look, again, in most of these situations, that person's being paid for that emotional labor, so it, it sort of works out, but not always. And then in a household, yeah. it, it, I'd imagine it's very—it's just even more resentment could build up because, well, it's also you know that the one person, if it's a traditional sort of household, one person's bringing in the money, so it's not like they're doing nothing. And yeah. sometimes the the household manager assumes that they're doing everything when, and and that can upset the other person quite a lot, understandably. Um, but yeah, it's a tricky one because. 
you know, you want to, you want people to appreciate and, and be able to do what you might be doing as the manager, but then vice versa, the person who might be working, uh, long hours in a tough job might think, well, I, I, you know, you, you, you don't exactly know what I'm doing as well. I'm contributing to this quite a lot. I'm going through a lot of stress and yeah, it um, yeah. can be just a messy and toxic situation all around, can't it? It absolutely can. And it's something that I see a lot in particularly in relationships um, where like when you were talking about how someone often manages like the domestic duties in the household and when they ask for help, then that person does such a poor job. They're like, oh, fuck, I'll just do it. Like, and whether or not that person is weaponized incompetence where it's basically like, oh, I don't know how to cook onions. Like I can't do dinner, like that kind of thing where it's intentionally bad um, or unintentional. It builds so, so much resentment and passive aggressiveness and it gets to a point where, you know, as they say, John Gottman says, in your relationship, the biggest indicator of divorce is contempt. And that is one of those things that causes contempt. And in my relationship, I find that I actually am experiencing like the impact to a much, much smaller scale, less, um, doesn't really like bother me too much, but it's something we've been talking about. Uh, I'm experiencing the impact of emotional labor in the sense that it's like Adrian always loves about me. Like he always says, I love that. Like you're like the leader in the relationship and just what you say go and you organize this and it's like sorted or whatever. And I loved or used to love or used to love that too. But now I'm like exhausted because I'm so tired, so sleep deprived. And it's, that's when I've started to become really conscious of it. And it's like, it's such a routine in our relationship that he will just, instead of trying to find information himself, he'll just ask me <laughs> like I'm his Google basically. And, um, I get like major, major decision fatigue where he'll be like, what are we doing this weekend? And I, instead of being like, check the calendar, I run through the 10 things we're doing this weekend. So now we have a, a rule that he cannot ask me any questions about plans when I'm in bed, because that's Every time I'm about to doze off to sleep, that's when he starts asking me like something about some plan and I hate it. Um, and even just like to a smaller scale as well, like he'll be like, uh, how much longer is left in this movie? And I'll be like, do you want me to check? Because we both use like Apple remote on our phones. We're both up, like he just expects me to know almost. And I'm like, well, why don't you look like those kind of like little questions that he just instinctively asks me, whereas I'm like, can't like just now I'm at the point where I'm so tired, just figure it out. <laughs> I just fucking sort, sort it out. And then to like a more, I guess, obvious extent where I try to give him, for example, the reins on some things, but I like struggle to like when it comes to like say feeding Remy I'll be like can you instead of being like can you give him lunch I'll be like okay can you cook him the lentils and this is how you cook it and then I put it with this pasta and then boil the sweet potato for 10 minutes and then mash it in and add this in and then because I've given so many directions he will ask me 14 times wait how long like what this that and I'll be like I'm gonna have a bath but then when I'm in the bath all I'm thinking is yeah. Relax. I'm like, okay, <laughs> did he do it right? And that's what happened. Did he give yeah. him water? Did he put the bib on? Did he clean? Did he check his nappy? Like that's, it's, I can't relax. It's hard and to it's detach, funny. isn't it? Yeah. It's so hard. And that's only something that's been like a new issue for me because like I used to be a chronic napper. I'd sleep nine hours at night and take a nap basically every day. Now, when I get the opportunity to nap on the weekend where Remy, when Adrian's like, I'll take Remy for four hours, go nap. I can't, I just cannot, I can't stop thinking about them. <laughs> <laughs> like mm. it's so annoying um and so, you know yeah. it's well look i don't i don't know um too much about the household situation but in 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 a professional situation the the inability to detach can then be an unfortunate consequence of people who are the natural manager and that can almost be almost like extra emotional labor that they have to do then because then they have to learn how to detach um, and make yeah. a conscious effort to to sort of figure that out. 
at the same time, um, because people are at different, you know, developmental stages of, you know, managerial capabilities, or some people are just naturally better at it. It's worthwhile allowing, like if someone told me that, you know, when it comes to delegating things in an organization, it's like, okay, if someone can do it 80% as good as you can, do it, like let them do it. And then you have yeah. to detach from that and say, all right, look, it's not going to be to my standard, but I cannot get stressed. Yeah. It's actually worse for yourself yeah. and for the organization. And, you know, yeah. that's something I've tried to implement where if, um, look, they can do it 80% as well as I can, that's fine. I can't yeah. sit there and get, you know, you can't, because then, yeah, the manager can sometimes have a tendency to be over, can become overbearing because they think, oh, you're not doing it the then exact same way I'm doing it. And then, yeah, you you end up micromanaging them or you end up giving them too many instructions. And then they sort of don't know, they think, well, I did it and I, and I made the effort to do it. And I, look, I'm doing the planning, but yeah. because it's not to the standard that you're used to, you still get mad at them and then, you know, in that situation, if they're doing it to sort of 80 even sort of 70%, I mean, when it comes to things like the, a baby and things like that, that might be different. But if we're talking about just household chores and things, if I think that 80% rule can apply as well in a household where if the person who's yeah. not the natural manager can do it 80% as good as you, all right, just let them do it. Give them yeah, the opportunity 100%. to step up in that sense. Yeah, I agree. I think especially when it comes to things like cleaning or the way you stack the dishwasher or um, the way you do something or the way you cook your onions, like even if you disagree and but they're just trying to do it, just let them do it. <laughs> like just out of sight, out of mind, just leave it. I think and, just take a step back. And then you can get into that mother-child dynamic as well, which can exacerbate the resentment. And and it just that's where like a lot of attraction gets lost. Because if you're feeling like, okay, I'm a parent to this person rather than a partner, well then that you know, no one's gonna that that's not conducive for uh sexual attraction. Um So yeah, look, it can be a messy sort of situation, and 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 there's a there's a biological component to this because all the studies that I've read at least show that women, on average, have just much more attention to detail, organizational capability, and then sort of being able to manage a social group. That was what they did for most of our history while the men were out hunting or whatever. So. Uh, now that we're in a situation where there's more uh, demand for emotional labor and managerial skills, it's actually an advantage for women economically, but it can also be a disadvantage um, in in a relationship. And and again, don't get me wrong, there's still many situations where it goes the other way or where the manager is actually being overbearing or being unnecessarily hypercritical. And this is all very contextual. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. That that's usually what happens. If I was trying to come up with a joke the other day saying, "All right, you got to let <laughs> rather than like expecting men to be um maybe as good as the average woman with uh the household things. They should, they should have a basic level of knowledge and and competency, but once a year we got to release 10,000 lions into the city and just let men hunt the lions once a year, just so then there's just a thing that we're just naturally uh designed for. <laughs> Uh, that we can do yeah. and fulfill our uh, natural, good uh, idea. you know, and then and then and then and then women will be like, oh, good, we need that, and you know, you can't get the ick if we're uh, out there spearing a lion. So, yeah, anyway, and that's I a think stand-up that's joke I'm working. That's at. one of the. That's a really good <laughs> point. Not that I suggest we do that, but it, what's interesting, I guess, compared to like, say, like my friends that own apartments and me owning a house, is there's always so many opportunity more opportunity that like Adrian's stepping into the cliche of his like masculine, like he does the bins, he does the lawns, he does the, at the moment he's like rebuilding our studio that was damaged in the storms. And he's like, um, yeah, completely rebuilding it and setting it up for Remy as a playroom, et cetera. Like he's doing all that physical labor stuff that I'm like, Oh no way. I haven't taken the bins out once, not one time have I done that. And he actually probably does more, of the domestic stuff than me as well. Like he's a very clean, tidy person, which I guess I'm very lucky for. Um, but I think that's a really, really good point about that mother-child dynamic. It's very, very hard 
to come back from once you're in the, in that. Um, and there's a lot of contempt, a lot of dissatisfaction and a lot of snarkiness that comes alongside that relationship dynamic where someone feels like they are having to organize, dictate, inform, educate, plan, etc. everything, whether it be domestic or emotional or all those responsibilities um, and then or the incompetence of their partner and then it is not conducive for a thriving sexual relationship and it is quite hard to come back from. It's hard to resolve that and change that dynamic once it's in place Um, and there's so much resentment in there. Like I find that people when they get to a point of a lot of resentment in their relationships, sometimes it almost feels like it's you can't come back from that without doing a lot of work or even seeking therapy when you've got that much resentment because it doesn't heal over time. It just accumulates over time and and it's really toxic and dangerous in your relationship. And then you start to see things that wouldn't have otherwise been a problem Yeah, because you're just so used to having that emotion of resentment or annoyance at the other person that everything starts to annoy you about them. Well, that's just like the cliche, oh, if you're not annoyed at everything they do, you're not married. And you think, well, oh, hopefully you can still avoid that situation. But uh, yeah. also it, there's got to be a – look, you're never going to have a perfect relationship or a perfect social yeah. organisation and there's always going to be some of these issues that pop up and, and it's 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 uh, foolish to assume that you can expect everyone to read your mind and, you know, do things the exact same way you do things. We're all different. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. So – Um, By all means, I'm not trying to, in this podcast, suggest that, you know, everyone who's in that manager role is always in the right and is justified in being as annoyed as they are. It's all very, very contextual. Um, But, yeah, you're right. It's it's such a common thing in relationships where, yeah, more often than not, it's the the woman who's, who's annoyed at the man for not, partaking in the same level of emotional labor i think a good thing for men if they can afford it well for anyone it just try to live alone for a while i mean i know it's harder in a large city now but live alone and then it forces you to become the uh the manager of not just the place you're living but your life and yeah. it will force you especially if you sort of hit disorganizational rock bottom if you want to call it that um It'll be the the kick in the backside that you uh, you know that that's what happened to me. I moved out at twenty two, and compared to then, I'm just a lot better at that sort of stuff now. And just because you yeah. you have to be you, you know there's no one else doing yeah. it. So, uh, it's not for everyone. Some people get quite quite lonely, but living alone can be very helpful in that regard. I agree. It was the best thing I I moved out when I was nineteen, and I lived alone um, over the period of time maybe like a combined total of two years over the last like 10 years or whatever since I've lived out of home and it was just the best if that not only is it just has so there's so much growth that can happen when you're not relying on other people or you're learning things about yourself you're managing yourself you're figuring things out I recommend that just not even just for this aspect but it's so healthy to do if you're not prone to know like severe loneliness and isolate it yourself etc it's definitely something to do if you can afford it um or if you can get an apartment (laughs) good luck um but yeah it's it's i highly recommend it and i think as well another thing that i haven't touched on is the emotional labor of being the person that everyone dumps their like they vent to you or they go to you for things and go to you for support even venting's okay but if it's like what do I do about this this happens what what do I do about this like I had a um a friend group where there was three of us and one of my friends she was she was an anxious person she shared a lot and I as a person am someone that loves to feel needed it's like a trope I have some kind of complex um and so she would message me and this other girl basically daily. And I was thriving. I loved it. I love being there to support her. It was the best time. I felt really close. I would always talk. But my other friend was like, I cannot cope with this girl messaging me eight times a day about how her life is hard, how she's stressed, how she's anxious. Like I'm done with it. And their friendship ended and they've never been friends since. Like she just couldn't 
come back from it. She was like, I, she expressed it to the friend and then um, the one that who was had the anxiety and was oversharing and, and kind of venting a lot was like, okay, well, I won't do it. And she's like, no, I don't want you as a friend. <laughs> like she just got so angry and so much resent, um, resentfulness happened, built up so fast. Damn. She was like a bit like, Ooh, you know, it's that's messy. I don't want to have to hold your hand through every single thing that happens to you in your day-to-day life. I don't want to talk through everything. I don't want to debrief everything. I don't want to have to solve every single thought that occurs to you. Figure it out yourself. <laughs> yeah, there's Maybe. a nat- there's the natural uh, almost psychologist that emerges in a friend group, isn't there? Yeah, there's yeah. Someone who definitely. has to then take on everyone and then and everyone's yeah. problems and then well, what we're talking about in the last podcast, they're a, the sounding board for all the oversharers, and then they don't get to. Yeah. Well, then yeah. <laughs> sometimes if they have a partner, then they have to then. I haven't dumped all that on the partner or then they have to yeah. find an outlet for that. And, yeah, these are tough things to me- – you can't really measure it. Um, yeah. And sometimes people don't have boundaries and then that's why they end up being in that role. Um, but then, you know, is it on that person? It's just, it's just you know, it, all these situations are very uh, unique to each individual context. Yeah, exactly. And it's re- it is one of those things that it's it's your responsibility to communicate and resolve it if it's impacting you and it's also your responsibility to be aware if you're that person that is like dumping things onto everyone or um asking someone to to going to everyone all the time or whatever. It's it's something that you have to be really conscious of. And my um, one of my closest friends, she is a, a social worker and she works with like uh, in in a really, really intensive role where she sees a lot of trauma similar to what I did um, but more like more hands-on with um, even in the homes of families, et cetera. And she is with someone and he's very like a verbally expressive and he loves like he's kind of like one of those like funny pessimistic type personality types where he likes to complain but it's not he's like a really like nice and enjoyable guide but he is a bit of like pessimistic so he'll come home and he'll be like oh this fucking person did this and this happened this happened and she's like okay well like i literally had to help an ice addicted baby taken from the hospital and cared for it like she was so had so much trauma in her day-to-day that she'd come home and instead of being able to relax her partner would come home and it'd be like oh this he was just making conversation because that's just the person he is um but she was like I can't like she's just taking on so and so much and she couldn't she didn't want to tell him because she's very she's such a compassionate and empathetic person she didn't want to discourage him from like unwinding about his day but she was like, God, I need time to myself <laughs> um, or time to even just talk about my issues. So I don't even know what ended up happening with that, but it's a very common, well, it can be a common thing. Um, and those, those people. In the inequality of venting. Yeah, the, but those people got to, they do have to tell the other person. There's a nice way to tell them, but exactly. you know, cause otherwise it'll yeah. get pent up and then you'll just, it'll it'll yeah. come out one day in an unhealthy way and then the the other partner will feel un, unfairly attacked and then that's just a much worse yeah. situation but then if someone does say something like that to you it's not something to get immediately defensive about yeah yeah but complicated because they're very you know if, if someone was if a partner said hey i don't like the way you talk about work after i come home from work you can easily get defensive <laughs> over yeah. something like that so. Yeah, like I don't want to hear about your day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop complaining, you whiny bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you gotta um, figure out ways to say that well, but yeah, just figure out. I always find like, is there a time of day that helps? Like, that's better for you. Would you rather do it on your way home? Would you rather do it after you've had a few hours to relax to have those like connecting conversations where you talk heaps in detail about? what your day went like Adrian Adrian calls me every single day at 3:30 p.m. on his way home from work. We speak for like 40 minutes and not much happens at his work, but um every single thought that he had that day he would just kind of tell me. But I like that. That's like that's a time where I'm like, "Oh, 3 o'clock for me is the most boring time of my day." So we 
Remy and I are like sitting by the phone waiting for him to call. But in prior to that, I'd always be like, when I get home from work, I'd be like, okay, I need to like decompress for like an hour. I'd actually just go to my bed. I'd be like, hi, kiss, hug and go to my bed for like 25 minutes, sit and then come out and have a conversation. So it's funny how it changes over time, but figure out like when, when is the best time for you to have like the capacity to have conversations, not necessarily bad conversations, just be willing to like sit and talk. Like I'm also one of those people that when I have like food, I want to just eat my food in peaceful silence if I'm eating alone. And like, if a friend calls me, I will stop eating so that I can enjoy my food afterwards. But if someone's talking to me while I'm eating, I'm like, I just want to eat this food. (laughs) Can you come back in five minutes? Like, it's funny, but Mm. it works when you know, like, this is when I'm going to feel the most peaceful. I'm going to have the most capacity to have this conversation. Just communicate it. Yeah, no, totally. Like, what about, how does that work for you? Because like, when do you like clock off? When's your most, when's, when's the time for you that you're. Nighttime. If I don't have a show, nighttime. Yeah. And then right. the sort of maybe there's a little lunch break I give myself. <laughs> so those two times. Aww. Yeah. Little lunch break. <laughs> well, it's yeah. Not a big one. <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, recess. <laughs> what, um, those two times probably, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's probably easier when you're living alone because you don't have to then necessarily navigate yeah. what someone else might be doing in that situation um i don't know how big families do i guess if you're in a really big family you get used to things like that and that's why they're always fighting with each other uh but there's also benefits to that like i said in the last pocket loneliness is such a what it's um you know the physical ramifications of loneliness not just the mental uh are really morbid and gotta do something about that it seems like an easy fix, really. Just get off your phone and go out. But you know, if you're yeah. if you've um, trained yourself to be used to being alone, then it's a lot harder to do. But especially if you have social anxiety, yeah, and then anxiety, the, and then the anxiety depression. gets worse if you're if you're just alone yeah. all the time. So yeah. um, a little bit of healthy exposure yeah. wouldn't hurt. And that's where it's very different if you if you grew up in a big big family there's no real often people don't even get the opportunity to be alone yeah um, so be interesting how they sort of you know i don't imagine the, the emotional labor involved in say a family of five six kids would just yeah. be i mean that'd just be ridiculous honestly you wouldn't that. get a second oh not even a minute to yourself i do find like when you said like you get used to it like i'm sure like there is the aspect of that, but I also feel that some people would take to being needed and touched out and having to organize these things and being a parent, et cetera, really naturally and thrive in it. And I think other people really struggle with being like, okay, I actually had to sacrifice a lot of my identity, a lot of my hobbies, a lot of um, just time to sit and and have a cup of tea. That's like a rarity or even having a hot shower. Um, for more than four minutes, like it's, it doesn't come naturally to some and it's just like, well, shit, I can't do much about it now. Mm. Let's see what methods I can put in to help me cope better. Um, but yeah, it is one of those tricky things. I actually saw a post on, I was talking about this with Adrian. I saw a post on Reddit the other day where this man was commenting, uh, made a post saying that he hates his wife. He resents his wife because they have three children and he doesn't like his kids. He hates being a father. And these kids were like 11, 9 and like 6 or something years old. So he's been a parent for a while. Um, and everyone was like, well, why do you hate your wife? Like it takes two people to have a baby. Like shouldn't you have learned that after the first or if not a second child? Um, why are you punishing her for it? Because she had another child. Um, but it was interesting and then he I looked at his like post history and he was posting a lot on different like forums about like he just never he regrets kids so much and he hates them he never connected and then people were saying back to him for the sake of your children divorce your wife so your kids don't grow up feeling your regret and feeling your resentment because they are already guaranteed to be 
like absolving that and 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 feeling that from you and that kind of energy so it is one of those things that's like once it's once once the baby's born it's hard you can't really undo it or if you do it's a very very dark and heavy path to go on um and I, I don't mean murdering babies I mean like relinquishing care but <laughs> <laughs> just <Yeah>. disclaimer <laughs> um so yeah like you know take the chance to live alone while you can <laughs> have that time get that get that oh, out cry came Enjoy in just uh, it. <laughs> that was the appropriate time <laughs> yeah exactly it's i mean look yeah. i mean with those some of those sometimes people are just at their wits end and just need to vent and they'll yeah. say things that they don't necessarily mean i mean it's a bit different yeah. when you type something out and in some of those situations you want to give people a space even if you yeah. might, if say he was saying something like that to his partner, oh, well, look, something like that would be, that's a tough ask. But in some situations, people say things that the partner, they're, they're at their wits end, they're just burnt out. And then they'll say things, they're just venting. They're not yeah. really thinking about what they're saying. And they say a lot of things that they don't necessarily mean yeah. that are indirectly very upsetting to the partner. And this may be another situation where emotional labor is needed and you need to just sort of take that on if you're the partner and you can, and you can tell that they're not, they don't mean it and it's out of the ordinary for them to say something like that. It's just yeah. more often than not, they're totally venting and they're out there with sand and you just need to, you know, as I say, they're, they're, they're all this stuff about giving people a space without judgment, um, you got to do that. And it's uh, it, the, the, the thing with that is it often takes a certain level of emotional labor of the person listening to do that. Yeah. Especially if it's in a, in a relationship. Yeah. Because if someone's yeah. saying like this, you know, it may not be directly offensive to the partner, but Hey, this relationship isn't working for me. I feel bored. I feel trapped. Trapped is a big one. If, when someone says trapped, it's very hard for the other person to not take it personally. Yeah, I would take that personal. For yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, it'd be hard not to. But it, yeah. you know, if it's a, if it's a situation where there's other things in their life that might be causing that feeling, and then then they're you know thinking it's the holistic uh, situation of the relationship, but in fact it's just the work, or I, you know, there's ways you can sort of work around that, yeah. and and think about ways to to deal with that rather than just. You know, the, the immediate response would for a lot of people would be uh, defensiveness. And, you know, it takes a, a, quite a, yeah. a strong person to not get defensive in that situation, and I usually do as well. But, you know, looking back at a few situations like that, it, it might often be better for someone to see what they – try to analyze what they're – indirectly saying read between the lines as opposed to just yes. hearing what they're directly saying. What's actually saying. beneath this and yeah. what's going on outside this moment for this person. And I think that what's interesting is that, and this links in, I guess I'll get to that point in a minute about mental health, but the, that emotional labor falls onto the partner. If someone says I'm trapped, if someone said that to me, I now hold that emotional labor yeah. of being like, okay, I can react because that offended me and that hurts my feelings and now I'm scared of losing them. But in reality, I'm going to have to rein myself in and approach this conversation with empathy and compassion. And that's hard to do because my initial first thought was I feel threatened, yeah, like my exactly. relationship feels at threat. Um, and that's the emotional labor, like, okay, now I have to – put in a face of empathy or even like to other extents where someone says like what I've mentioned before that I often have people messaging me saying um, from that listen to this podcast saying a very frequent issue that comes up for them is um, they find themselves attracted to another person, whether it be a colleague or whatever. And I never ever give direct advice on you should tell your partner or you should not tell your partner this. I only normalize that and just like talk about it as a whole um, and what they can do individually, but I never tell someone directly like how to navigate that with their partner. And some people choose to tell their partner that because they want to be really honest and open and other people are like, well, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to get rid of this like, you know, crush and not tell my partner. Um, and I don't have actually any opinion on whether one avenue is better than the other, but imagine being the partner and hearing something like that. Again, of course, your first initial thought was you f you'd feel hurt or you may feel hurt 
or you may feel threatened or perhaps you feel like honored, like thank you for being so respectful and being so honest. And like that would be an extremely emotionally intelligent (laughs) reaction that not even I would probably have. Um, But it does take a lot to then be like, okay, like let's, let's talk through this, even though your relationship might feel threatened to you on a subconscious or physical level that you then have to be like, I need to remain calm and give this space to that person. And I guess that was going to be our next point of when someone in the relationship might have ongoing and regular mental health concerns. You do have to be conscious of the emotional labor of the person that is there to support, that is supporting you through that, whether they be like the daily venting, the checking if you've had your medication, checking how they can support you, holding you while you cry. Like there is such things as caretaker fatigue, et cetera, that happens. And burnout is so serious. And when people get burnout in their relationships, especially if the cause of relationship is due to burnout, they themselves get blind. Like they might not recognize I'm just so tired from this, this, and this. I, this is the support. I mean, they might just be like, I can't do it. I'm stepping out. I'm gone. Um, yeah. So that's another really important point is to recognize like if you're the receiver, if you're the person that you feel holds the more most emotional labor, be conscious and understand the signs of burnout and be aware if you see those coming that you need to intervene early because when it's too far gone, you make rash decisions. And the thing is, is that you might, you know, you make a decision on impulse, but you might not realize I was burnt out till three years later. It's like, you're not going to come back the next time, day being like, oh, sorry, I was too exhausted. You might feel settled, be like, no, I needed to divorce or I needed to do this or I needed to leave up and leave my kids and move countries and only recognize that years in the future that this was burnout. And if someone is anxiously attached, uh, they can often deliver quite direct criticism and actually the underlying message they're saying is, hey, I need reassurance that you really like me, which is a very difficult situation for the person receiving that because they are quite literally being verbally attacked uh, well, attacked is a strong word. They're yeah. being they're being verbally they're being criticised, and it's actually in some ways an expression of commitment and love, but just in a in a toxic, anxiously attached way. And then that person has to do what you say, where you they take on the emotional labour and say, oh, "All right, they said that thing about me. I've got to just kind of." That's not directly what they're saying. What they're indirectly saying is. Uh, I felt some doubts this this week, and now I'm going to try to challenge the the love that you have for me to see if it's yeah. actually there. And you know, it's um very hard to do in that situation. Uh, <laughs> but it's so hard because that person, the anxious attached person, because it's so subconscious. Often they don't even realize. When I accuse you of checking out this girl or when I accuse you of not loving you, me because you didn't notice my haircut, they're not aware that on the subconscious, I mean, they're sometimes not aware that on a subconscious level, it's stemming from the I am seeking reassurance of our love. Um, and instead of asking for it, they find a way to instigate a conversation or a narrative or whether or not they and they often truly believe it as well they create a situation because they're trying to make that need met so it's really hard because it requires them to have emotional intelligence to realize like this is what's beneath it not and and that shouldn't fall solely onto that partner being like oh what they're seeking here is love and affection it's also that person's responsibility to cut all that bullshit out to begin with yeah that's very true preferably and be like hey can i have some more cuddles tonight and can you reassure me of your love this is what i need yeah it's hard it's true it's very hard it's hard yeah Attachments, then we're in a whole different other ball. We need a whole another podcast yeah. to even go through that. Yeah, well, I've done a few on on those. So I can <laughs> check back on, the, check through the catalog. Uh, I f- I think we've covered that quite well. Um, by all means, let us know in the comments or uh, on on Instagram or TikTok if uh, there's anything we didn't cover or if there's another topic that you'd like us to explore. But do you have any any final words on on this one? No, <laughs> I think I've said it all um, that I can think of. But yeah, just um, 
good luck and don't feel like you have to take the responsibility on for others and you're not responsible for other people's emotionals, like emotional reactions or regulating those people um, and communicate your needs. Um, so that would be my final piece of advice, as always, I guess. <laughs> always what it comes down to, isn't it? Just communicate. Yeah. Shout out to all the managers out there. <laughs> yeah. We see you. Keep doing what you're doing. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, everyone. See you next week.